It's May 14th, 2020. This is Rook. The Diaspora Diaries. Seems like almost every Persian has some kind of dramatic story of how they got where they are. And in some cases, they wrote it themselves in real time. Shiva Nigar started a diary, a daftar as a little girl in Iran, carried it with her to Turkey, Canada, and now to Hollywood, where she's revisiting some of her early inscriptions to discover that dreams can come true. Today, Shiva is a rising star in American film and joins us from Los Angeles to shed light on a new confidence that's taken her to a starring role in a blockbuster. This is stories from, to, and about the Iranian diaspora. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. Welcome to episode 9 of Rook. Omidvar hastam ke zendegitun. Khayli ali vashe. I'm here with uh, both the Rezas are joining me on this. Uh, uh, one of the Rezas, of course, whose name is Shia, but um, also Reza. Uh, and... Um, uh, Shia from Dang Show, Shia, a star member of our team here. Uh, Reza, uh, the other Reza, uh, better known as Muhammad Reza, uh, Just from Reza. now on. Just yeah. Reza. Is also here. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Thank you. Shia, you have to yes. use the microphone. Yes, thank you. Ali. Um, so uh, lots to do today. We've got the uh, we've got Shiva Nagar coming up. Um, we've got... Uh, Letters of the Week, our Thursday feature, and we actually got a bunch of letters, a bunch of interesting letters. We'll get to that. Um, and some of them focused on um, uh, an episode we had last week with uh, Dr. Merzad Borjardi, um, which was a really uh, invigorating conversation that has created a bunch of conversation. And then some of them focused on the recent episode that we had earlier this week with Mondana Karimi, who is... Uh, um, the little Iranian girl who could became uh, has become a big uh, actress and, and model and Bollywood star now. Um, a lot of people were really inspired by her story. We talked about the fact that we're going to do Bollywood to Hollywood. Yeah. And um, so Shiva is uh, going to join us in a few moments on this episode. I wanted to tell you guys a story today. Go ahead. What kind of story? Okay. So... Uh, <laughs> so, I don't so, like the sound of this. No, no, no. Already. It's not a bad story. <laughs> okay, it's not a bad ahead. story. Uh, I mean, I, I, it's, it's. In, I, I don't even know if it's interesting, but, um, but where I live. So I, we, we live in Toronto um, and in Canada, and uh, near my house, there's these tennis courts. And uh, this weekend, I went and they put up a new sign that said um, COVID nineteen. I mean, the tennis courts and the park are are, are closed, and so they put up a sign that said. Uh, um, you know, park is closed. Please be careful. COVID-19. This is official signage from the city, 
right? And then it said, uh, please maintain social distancing. And then on this official sign, it said, uh, please uh, stay away from, you know, stay two meters away from each other, the length of a hockey stick, <laughs> right? <laughs> so Canadian, isn't it? The, the length of a hockey stick, uh, and, and uh, w- which is great. I mean, I, but but I, it's it's still interesting spotting language, even on official signage, that with reference points that may only make sense to those of us in a specific <laughs> region or country. Like I'm guessing most of our friends listening in the United States, let alone Asia or Italy or Iran, are not using the length of a hockey stick as the <laughs> metric for social distancing, right? So, like as a Canadian, as somebody who has um, who played hockey for years as a kid, uh, not very well, but you know, yeah. road hockey I was good at. But then, uh, and then, um, uh, and then I, I was just a big hockey fan. I've still got the posters. I've got all the cards. I mean, you know. Uh, so for me, that's a great reference point. Um, but then I was thinking about the Iranian side of of me and of, of us, and I was. <laughs> No, and I was thinking, what would the sign need to say, uh, like to telegraph to those in the community, right? Like what, question, yeah. you, to make sure that everyone understands yeah. what two meters is. I was trying to come up, so then, I, so I was thinking like four servings of, of kubide, like, like I was li- just thinking that. lined up, you know? <laughs> I was know? just thinking that. Like for people to be able to understand, yeah. you know, um, please stand four kubides away from each other. Four kubidas away from each or, other. Or or maybe like or. six aftabes. Aftabes. <laughs> 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 oh, uh, uh, I mean, I, you know, I'm just trying. I'm trying to be helpful, right? Yeah. I'm trying yeah. to think of ways to, to make sure that people understand what yeah. the the yeah. two meters, the six feet, the social distancing. Aftabes uh, wouldn't work. The only the only uh, thing that Aftabes would contribute to this COVID nineteen is when there was a shortage of toilet paper. And, that's right. Uh, and people could have. And we were. It was an advantage for. Uh, the, well, you're saying the Aftabes wouldn't work because we don't because there's different sizes, <laughs> right? right. Different sizes there's no way. <laughs> there's no way to know. Yeah, it's yeah. They're, they're, this they're is the fa- my favorite part about this conversation is for the poor non-Iranians listening or non-Farsi speaking. The, um, the, the, the there's it's a secret code. Once we get into Aftabe, it's it just is. really they can only, Google it. They can Google it. It's really not worth Googling, probably, <laughs> or maybe it is. Maybe probably very is. helpful. Yeah, I think so too. Shaya, any suggestions for how you would um, tell people to uh, stay, you know, two meters apart in the Iranian diaspora? Actually, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Shaya. Actually, no. It was just an idea. Yeah. It was an idea. Yeah. Or Sikh. Iranians know what Sikh is. Sikh is uh, skewer. <laughs> oh, he's just search off the bit. What happens when you search Aftabe? Uh, you just get a bunch of pictures of Aftabe. That's it. But the, but the Aftabe is they're, 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 they come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. Yeah. yeah. There's Aftabe <laughs> Talo. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear lord! All right. That's okay. Well, I, I I didn't want to go. I didn't mean to actually descend into uh, yeah. th- that humor. But I but I am trying to think of. Uh, I was thinking You're comical. To do your part. The, the length of the hockey stick. So, what's our what's the equivalent for those of us who are also have our Iranian side? What do we? Uh, I'm sure people will perhaps come up with a suggestion for that. Um, so, we'll get to later's. Uh, get to later's. We'll get to letters later in the program, <laughs> and we will uh, also um, 
is our website up? Yes, our website. <laughs> yes, our website is up. Uh, because I people. I saw our website. Uh, I, yeah. I, I I I don't know if this was the official version, but there was a version that we put up that looks basically like the YouTube channel. Yeah, like yeah, we, yeah. There's no reason for us to have a website so far. <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> it's uh, just exactly. We just took what was on the YouTube channel, and we created a website. So basically, people should just go to the YouTube channel for now. It's an ever-growing website, so it's uh, it's it's um, right. it's evolving. Um, uh, but so far, yeah. It so far, it hasn't like... evolved <laughs> at all. Yeah, but uh, it's up. Okay, I can see Shy is still thinking about how to uh, think of it. Yes, yes, Shy, go ahead. Actually, I did some research about Oftober. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, and uh, and I find a very interesting music video. Oh, really? It's about Oftober. Gotta go. Number two. How do we clean up? But don't worry. Okay. Oh. I have an idea. Just get this. What's that? It's cold and off the bed. Wow. This is an ad for the off the bed. Okay. Yes, actually, I think it came up after the crisis of paper toilets. Do we have... Uh, we we haven't got Shiva on the line yet, have we? No, thank you. Okay, yes, yeah, I'm glad to. Yeah, she's yeah. gonna <laughs> wonder why, why she's come on this program. Um, okay, thank you very much, guys. I'm sure I let us down there that that route, and I and uh, my sincere <laughs> apologies to anybody who's listening to that who didn't. Uh, I, why am I apologizing? We're proud of our off tub is right. We, we, we really this are. is a, a very useful y- tool. Yeah, it's something. It's useful and and also for social distancing. Kubide is my best <laughs> suggestion. You know, uh, when we talk about COVID, it might have started to feel a bit calmer now with this pandemic. But all joking aside, it's still raging, of course, uh, just somehow more normalized. Um, Let's not forget, you know, less than a month ago, everything felt more like the stuff of a Hollywood post-apocalyptic horror movie that had become frighteningly all too real. Well, for people of Iranian descent inside and outside of the homeland, you might say life has been quite a movie scene for several decades now. From the revolution to the eight years of war to the ongoing economic crises to clashes in the streets, the loss of lives, social repression, cultural eradications, plane shootings. It all seems like a never-ending nightmare movie. And so, again, how do people in the Iranian diaspora find a way to success in the midst of trauma, distress, and rejection. Well, my guest today not only lived the life of an Iranian, quote unquote, but has also played the role a few times as an actor. Quite recently, you've likely seen her on your screens in the blockbuster movie, American Assassin, as Annika, an Iranian-Turkish double agent. Shiva Nigar is an Iranian-Canadian actress and model born in Iran, raised in Turkey and then Canada, and now in Los Angeles. Shiva started her career as a child performer, and after overcoming myriad challenges, paved her way into the acting industry of North America. Some of Shiva's significant credits include that action thriller, American Assassin, as well as the feature film Becoming Burlesque, in which she starred, and television shows such as My Babysitter's a Vampire, The Art of More, and Hudson and Rex. Shiva Nagar joins me from Los Angeles, California right now. Hi, Shiva. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. This is fun. It's great to have you on the program. Thanks for doing this. Yes, of course. The obligatory opening question, what's what's life, what's the new normal for you now? What's going on in, in Hollywood and the acting industry now that the world pretty much has hit pause? 
Oh, wow. Yeah. Where do I start? Um, I mean, I think that one good thing with our industry is that it sort of forces you to adapt to a lot of things and a lot of situations because a lot of things are not in your control, especially as a performer. And um, when you're just waiting for projects uh, to come and you're just waiting on other people, you sort of have to be fluid and just go with what comes at you. And there are a lot of surprises in the industry. So this is just another part of it. And let's not forget, the, obviously, the unfortunate parts of, you know, people losing loved ones and, and the tragic events. But at the same time, if you are living and breathing on this earth still, I think it's a good chance for self-care. And I'm basically touching up on some skills that I wanted to learn. And um, I always was such a big procrastinator because uh, I would get too busy and there's always something that you want to get done. So I'm writing um, and I'm continuing to write because I've been meaning to finish this script that I'm writing. So this has been a good time for me to just slow down in such a fast-paced world that we live in, especially in North America, right. and um, get caught up in some of the things that I've been meaning to do. I want to get to your story, but just stick with Hollywood for a second. Just out of curiosity, mm -hmm. I mean, has the culture of Hollywood changed? I can't imagine. I mean, people can't be going on auditions. There's no films or TV shows being made. So what kind of conversations do you have with your agent or your fellow actors? The entire thing has come to a halt right now, obviously. And um, you can't even go in the rooms. Uh, luckily, we rely on a lot of self-taping um, and that's been the thing uh, recently anyway thanks to technology and um, back in the days everything was in the room so all the casting directors would be having sessions and they still do but you know um, they were relying I would say about 70% on self-tapes because people could be all over the world and putting themselves on tape and sending the auditions. So, so they're still casting for movies right now? Um. Some, very few, very few. The only thing is that everything is pushed back. I was supposed to work on something in March, and I was also supposed to shoot something in May. Now, uh, obviously, the March thing for now is canceled and postponed, and the project that I was supposed to film in May now is pushed back to August, and and it's still to be determined, obviously. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I heard from yeah. a couple of my uh, spies that uh, who <laughs> of our common friends that you <laughs> you were supposed to be shooting a a film like a Farsi film or something with Maz Maz Jabrani and others. What was that? Yes, it, it, it's a really exciting project, and it was a, a new thing for me. It's an adaptation of Stephen King's short story called The Doctor's Case. And we called the, it's a short film, we called it The Last King. Now, obviously, Stephen King is a legend, and we all love him. And his stories have been, you know, internationally translated to so many different languages. But it's never, apparently, it's never been done in Farsi. So we were working on, and I was co-producing and going to be starring in this film. And it was all supposed to be in Farsi. And yes, it was, it's me, Maz Jabrani, uh, Navid Negahban, I think, you know, he was also an American mm -hmm. assassin and the Sultan in Aladdin. Um, and we were just in pre-production when this whole thing happened. And I was actually supposed to travel to Toronto uh, mid-March because yeah. of this project. But obviously that didn't happen. So it's in Farsi. Yes. 
Yes, Mag- and I've never done this before. It's going to be my first film. Mag- Farsi <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> but that must be daunting for you because you haven't acted in Farsi before, have you? I've never acted in Farsi before, and that's why I was excited to try this. And that would have been a very unique experience for sure. Yeah, I know. I know you're very close with your your mom and, and your sister, and you've you've traditionally been back and forth to Canada to see them. H- how is it for yeah. you being forcibly isolated from your rock solid family members? I very close to to them yes and i'm very close to my mom especially and and having the ability to go back and forth was really nice i'm canadian so i always get work and even american projects a lot of them shoot in canada so for me it was such a win-win situation to have uh work that i come home to see my family and work at the same time thanks to technology right now i literally facetime with them every day even though this whole situation is making people be away from each other physically, I do feel like it's brought some kind of unity. At least in my experience, I'm connecting a lot more um, virtually with my family and my loved ones and, and a few friends that I care about. You know, I've known you for quite a while. I, I know you've mm-hmm. you've worked really hard for this, and and even when many, including your own family, didn't think this was going to be the right path for you. Do you still have moments where you think, "Wow, I'm in L.A. I've been in a blockbuster film. I'm really doing this." <laughs> um, to be honest, sometimes you forget, and that's another thing I'm grateful for this time because it is a slow time where you can self reflect and sort of you know look back and be more present and see what you've done, where you've come from, where you're going, why you're doing what, you, what you're doing, basically, and your purpose and everything. So, uh, yeah, I definitely have moments where I think back and sometimes, I mean, I have, I have uh, this diary that I, I've started to read um, uh, from my childhood. I kept it somehow with me this whole time. And, and I haven't been able to uh, read the entire thing yet, but it is actually the, the symbol of what I'm writing. But my point is, yeah, I look back and I'm like, wow, I've come from such different worlds, you know, and migrating from the Middle East, you know, Iran to Turkey and then Canada and U.S. And it's been quite a journey. And, and, uh, and I'm really grateful for everything. And, and it, it is nice to look back and see how far you've come. Shiva, take us back. So you you left Iran when you were very young. You were around seven years old. Um, Mm -hmm. What what, what do you remember from that time? What were you writing in that diary uh, in those early years? I had this diary that's called Daftar Khaterat in Farsi. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm so glad that I have it because um, it literally, like when you open it, it literally has my full name and it says Shiva, Vagoy Negar, and it says Great One in Farsi. And the diary starts in Farsi. I mean, I'm I'm actually amazed of how well I was writing in Farsi. I don't think I can write that well right now. Uh, it starts out Farsi, and then near the middle of it, it starts changing to Turkish because we migrated to Turkey, and we were in Istanbul for about four and a half years. Mm. And um, and then near the end of the diary, changes to English, and that's when we migrated to Canada. Um, That's so interesting. It's and, a tapestry of your yeah. journey. Why why did you end up in Istanbul? Did you want to go to Turkey? Was was that your mom's first destination where you guys wanted to go? 
It was a part of, I mean, no, it wasn't, we weren't uh, planning to live in Turkey. It was a trend that it was supposed to be short term. And that's, it didn't end up being short term and it ended up being four years. And when you speak to a lot of immigrants, uh, Iranian immigrants, and we all have these fascinating stories and obviously nothing turns out the way you plan on or on your timeline per se. So that was not the final destination for sure. And, and we were not supposed to be there for that long. And uh, the final destination was supposed to be North America. What was it like to be a Persian girl, uh, a little kid transplanted to Turkey? How did that go for you? Um, to be honest, Jian, I feel like all my life, because we moved a lot, I feel like I was always trying to fit in and be socially accepted in wherever I was. And I, never felt like I belonged because uh, my environment kept changing. I was seven. And from what I remember in Iran, just when I was trying to, you know, have friends and, and sort of fit in in some kind of a social world at that age, we left. And then we sort of started from scratch again in a, a foreign country where you don't know the language. So for me at that age, again, I was trying to sort of get used to my new environment. And because we did end up staying there for four years, I started getting used to it. I speak Turkish now. Um, I'm almost fluent. I don't have much practice anymore, but um, I was speaking like the, the native language uh, um, with the Turkish citizens there. And I started uh, finding uh, my social circle there and I had friends and I was adjusting basically. Mm -hmm. And then again, four years later, we left. So I had to go through that whole experience all over again in Toronto during my adolescence. And that was very difficult. It was very difficult because, I mean, it's a different world. Canada, North America is a very different world than that part of the world. And um, for me to adjust going to school and in high school, and again, I was trying to be socially accepted and trying to make friends with people that were born and raised in Toronto. And, and it wasn't easy. So for me, certain accomplishments um, that could be just normal to some other people, like graduating from high school or entering university and getting my degree. That was, in Canada, that was such a big deal for me when I accomplished it because I'm like, oh my God, you know, I was, I'm, I, this is it. I'm a part of this world now and I, and I feel like I fit in. So it was, it was, it was quite difficult to constantly try to transition. But one thing I did also learn from all these experiences is also to embrace who you are and not try to fit in all the time as well. So your mother is so fabulous. I, I, I've met her obviously, and she's, she's lovely. And, and uh, she, yeah. and, and you have always seemed very confident and popular. Uh, so <laughs> is there a disconnect between the way you were perceived and uh, the person you felt you were? Yes, there was a huge disconnect. And that also partially me trying to always be, I mean, I am, I love people and I'm, I consider myself very social and uh, growing up, especially in Toronto, I was always trying to be that, you know, happy girl. And, and I was trying to go with what was expected of me, like the, the norm and that sort of like traditional pathway and, you know, go to school, get a full-time job and um, get married, you know, have kids and, and go with what your family basically wants you to do. And, and I was in that path and I, 
wasn't internally, I just wasn't happy. I really wanted to do something different. And no matter how much I was, um, it was, it took me a long time to try to find my way and uh, find my calling because I didn't really have guidance. And everyone that I was growing up around me uh, in Toronto, uh, my friends and family, not, nobody was in the field that I'm in now and in the industry that I'm in now. And uh, so it took a long time for me to find myself and my purpose. You did a degree in psychology at York. Uh, York University yeah. in Toronto. Uh, you started working with a developer. You were working in business. Where obviously there were times when you expected that was going to be your life. What mm-hmm. was the precipitant for you to find the courage or take the step to say, "No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give this the arts a, a shot." I was always doing theater. I mean, I started with music even from the days I was in Turkey. So I was always doing theater and art on the side. So when I was in high school, I was constantly in the, the drama program. And then when I uh, entered university, obviously, I had to support myself as well. So I, I always had to have a full-time job. So um, I grew up with a single mom for the longest time because there was a big gap where I didn't grow up with my dad. And um, so I always had to make sure that I have a job on the side. And I, even though I knew what I wanted to do, I couldn't fully do it because I had to go through basically do what you have to do so you can do what you want to do. Um, so I was always keeping it on the side. And when I entered university, I did get an agent and, uh, you know, I, I was going on auditions. I was in school and I was taking every bit of dollar that I was making and I was spending it on film school and acting workshops and uh, seminars. And obviously people don't take you seriously at the same time. And, and, and my mom of course wanted what's best for me, but she was like, you know, this is great that you love doing that. And, um, she loves music herself. She has an, or she has an art background and, and she's like, this is great. You know, when you get a job, this is such a good thing to do as a hobby. (laughs) So, um, everyone was under the impression that this is going to be a hobby, but I always knew. And I, and I think I even, even mentioned it to you before, you know, since I've known you for so long, it's something that I always knew I wanted to do. I just didn't know how to go about it. Yeah. I know you've talked about how your mother is really important to you and mm-hmm. you look up to her. How, how hard was it to not have her approval at first to be wanting to 100% pursue acting and part of the reason i ask by the way is because your story is not uh, there's there's probably uh untold amounts of iranian especially young people who would be listening to this knowing what it's like to be in that position where you feel the pressure from Mm -hmm. your parents to you know a a, a job that's considered more um you know in 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 our culture right yeah i mean i mean it was it was really difficult and uh, to have to battle against that and and Another reason why I kept going, I mean, I wanted to take fine arts in school to begin with, and I did, and I took psychology um, because of everything that I was being told, you know, by by my family. And it, I know my mom, what she always wants is what's best for me, but it's just that, you know, generation gap and the unknown. They don't want you to pursue something that they don't know anything about because they don't know if it's safe for you to do so. And, and I totally understand that. Um, everything that she was telling me was to get a you know, full-time job and to do it as a hobby is for me to have a good future and a safe 
reliable future rather than walking on eggshells. So I totally understand that. And it took years and years of me begging her to just trust me and to let me do this. And I had a moment where years and years later, I was able to actually fly her down to a set. It was actually the set of American Assassin. And that was after so many years of me just telling her to trust me. And I was able to show her, I'm getting emotional just talking about it. I was able to show her what I finally do for a living and what I've been doing all these time, all this time. And, and that was such a breakthrough, you know, to have her there and, uh, and to sit there and watch me and, and uh, be proud. Mm. So, um, but I think I take after my mom because she is to this day, my hero, because she, two things that she has, which I think that I take after her is resilience and perseverance. And uh, she did migrate uh, from Iran to Turkey, to Canada with two daughters. And I, uh, not even half as strong as she is. I mean, I traveled from Canada to U.S. So if she was able to do what she did with two daughters, I think I can handle moving from Toronto to Los Angeles. In that middle period where you were, uh, you know, you're doing the, the psychology degree or you're, or you're working in jobs and, and you're, you haven't quite taken the 100% step to pursue acting. Was some of your own trepidation, uh, did some of that come around being not having a, say, a Canadian or an American lineage? Uh, you know, I remember the first time we met, <laughs> you were, you were, this was like, I don't know, 15 years ago, a long time ago, you were interviewing me. <laughs> at a Noruz event. We were both at this Noruz oh, event. Yes. And you were working for like this Iranian TV station or something, you know? And so yes. I, I always thought of you as very Iranian, you know, because that was my first time I'd seen you. You were like this Iruni girl, you know, to, uh, speaking Farsi, tra- interviewing me at a Noruz event. Um, so, uh, with very broken Farsi. <laughs> so w- w- did you think I'm Iranian, I'm a Middle Eastern person, uh, uh, how am I ever going to you know, be Jodie Foster or Charlize Theron? Oh, yeah, completely. I mean, what I wanted to pursue felt so out of reach. And it's not something that was overnight. I mean, it's been something that I've been uh, dreaming of and having these goals for years and years, even when, even since I was in Turkey, you know, and, 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 and all these years that I was in Canada um, and, it really felt out of reach, especially because um, I didn't feel, yes, I wasn't born and raised in North America. I'm ethnic. And, um, and yeah, I was doing, I actually became even more involved. There was, a, there was a big Persian community, obviously, in Toronto. And my Farsi got better, actually, when we moved to Toronto <laughs> than when we were in Turkey because of this huge uh, Iranian population in Toronto and I, I had I made a lot of Persian friends and you know one thing led to another and I did some exactly the the interviews and I did some uh, show that was on satellite and um, and I did a film with uh, with Andy which was my very first feature film called Lost Journey right. starting Reza Shola as well but uh, yeah I uh, I had to fight against that a lot especially because the world was very different when I was starting. And um, right now there's more involvement of ethnic or ethnically ambiguous actors and performers. And I think Hollywood has become a lot more uh, welcoming. I was going to ask you whether, whether you feel now the Mm -hmm. Middle Eastern background is, 
is uh, there's a bit of a I feel like it's a myth that you, you know that's propagated upon immigrant people now like oh you have it easy because you're ethnic because everybody wants ethnic casting now whatever do you do you feel yeah. like it's actually helpful now or is it just not as problematic to be Middle Eastern background no I don't think it's helpful I I, I do think that the industry still has a long way to go I really do um, because even though I really love the fact that some projects especially films take more chances to uh, showcase diversity. Um, there's still a lot of TV that it's still, you know, playing it safe and um, sort of not uh, going to the gray area and just sticking with what's safe. So I do think they still have a long way to go. But yeah, at least now it's normal. <laughs> hmm. You know, it's, it's very normal. And, and there's definitely a lot more opportunities. There's a lot more, like when you look at breakdowns, uh, uh, when you get scripts and, and things, and there are a lot more uh, role break, character break, breakdowns that are not just plain American or plain Canadian. And, and they are looking for that diversity and, and, and the ethnicity. So it's, it's, uh, at least that's a great thing. Yes. Let me ask you about American Assassin. This is a, a among the, the the work you've done. This is a this is a big film, a big uh, box office film. Uh, Michael Keaton, you know, it's got it's got a, a, a big cast. Mm-hmm. How does she even go? And, you, and and by the way, you're not you don't have some sort of side role in this. You're a major character in this film. How did you get this? From? Yeah, I was sent uh, the script through my manager here, so I. Uh, read the script, I reached out to my manager right away. And I'm like, I have to take for this. The casting director was in London and the director lived in New York and I was in Los Angeles at the time. Uh, And and I had actually just, it was only a year into me moving to Los Angeles. And um, so I, I reached out to my manager and I'm like, this is, I have to do this. This is me. I have to take for this. And I have to, you know, uh, show that this character exists in real life because obviously it's a fictional character um and uh i i tested for it i put myself on tape i sent in the audition then i basically got a call back where the director wanted to meet me so i skyped with the director and we spoke a lot about the character and the storyline and and then i met with the producers and uh, the executive team at the cbs films and it just one thing led to another and and they uh, they offered me the role, and it was one of the most amazing experiences I've had um, to this day in my career. It is it is almost like it was written for you. You're you're <laughs> it's an Iranian Turkish character. Although yeah, I don't know if you're a spy, if <laughs> you've grown up a spy, but but you got the Iranian Turkish part. You play this this spy yeah. who's. But this is also arguably Shiva a very it's a very American blockbuster movie. You you've you've developed this mm-hmm. fan base now in Iran. What was the reaction of the Iranian community to this role? Yeah, it's definitely a blockbuster American movie, and and to be honest, um, we had to speak about. Some parts, I mean, we, luckily, I had room to work on some of the um, dialect and some of the, uh, some parts of the script, because even though it's not based on any facts and it's just fictional, it's based on a series of novels, actually. Um, But it does touch up on some political or social issues that could be relatable in a way. And I wanted to make sure that um, this 
doesn't bother anybody in any way because at the end of the day, it's just uh, an action thriller movie. But, and I want to say once the film reached internationally to all the other countries in Iran, I want to say 90% was at, uh, very well taken, but then um, there were there was those 10% that I guess misinterpreted, and I, I did get some hate mail, I'm not going to lie, and um, I actually received some messages saying, oh, you're a traitor, and you're betraying your country, and um, so I, I did have some negative, but I mean, that's a given as an artist, you can't please everyone, and everyone misinterprets or in- interprets things differently, and um, so I had my share of a little bit of a hate uh, and how did but, that feel? Um, how did you deal with that? Um, you're as an artist, you're putting yourself out there in everything, and and this is not the only project that this happened. Now, obviously, this was a little uh, related to Iran because there is a, a, a part of the plot. You know, there are some Iranian actors, including right. me and right. and Navi Negaplan. So. But even with becoming burlesque in other films, you know, there are you putting yourself out there, and you sure. have to be able to take constructive criticism. And I really like to believe that I've become resilient enough when it comes to that, because it really is field of rejection and vulnerability when you're an artist um, and you're opening yourself up to the world size. Well, in with, a way. with that said, you know, and everybody needs to to eat and, and, and do, do gigs. Uh, uh, do you worry about roles that can underscore stereotypes or negative images of Iranians? This is something that Maz has talked about as well. We talked about Maz Jabrani. So, so if your manager called you tomorrow and said, listen, I've got a massive gig for you, a big film for you. You're going to be the co-star of it, but you have to play an Iranian terrorist. What, um, how, how do you react to that? Oh, wow. Um, good question. Um, I have, luckily, I'm, I mean, it's up to me whether I try to play roles that, and I feel like this, this was a part of my purpose. And even starting out, it took a lot of years for me to fight against this, for people to take me seriously. But I'm actually determined and I feel like I'm at a place where I can decide what story I want to tell and what characters I want to play. Mm. And, and I have become, I mean, when you're first starting out, you're, uh, you're limited in a way because you're working your way up and you're trying to build your resume and get out there. And, um, but I have become more selective. And, and to be honest, I'm focusing more on empowering stories and empowering female stories. And I want every project that I work on to be more of the voice of, of women who can't have a voice especially from the Middle East and that part of the world that I uh, come from. And I'm focusing more on that. So if I'm supposed to play (laughs) an Iranian terrorist, I don't know. I'm going to have to think about that. (laughs) It would depend on uh, a lot of, uh, you know, the character development and and what the backstory is. But um, my focus mainly is, is to tell inspiring, heroic, stories of females uh, around the world who are like my mom or who, um, or who are immigrants and um, refugees and, and single moms and, and, and young girls with big dreams. So those are the people that I want to 
um, tell their stories up. How much of yourself do you put into these roles, whether it's becoming burlesque or... In, in American Assassin, I, I had read that, um, or I, maybe I saw an interview with you where you said you did a lot of the stunts yourself, you know, when, when he's trying to drown you in, in the, the bathtub and, and all of that. Spoiler alert, you know. But uh, the, 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 <laughs> there's a scene where, for example, you're... You have a gun pointed at um, Navid, who's playing the, the foreign minister, Behrouz. And and yeah. I was thinking about you in that moment. I mean, your, your eyes and the anger and your facial expression, it, it feels very real. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell me about when you shoot a scene like that and how it feels to be holding a gun at someone who symbolically in the movie has taken your family from you and represents the Iranian state, you know? Yeah. It's uh, really, it's actually really interesting that you just brought up that scene because I do give my 100% in every scene. And, and I always say, I mean, every time if I'm speaking on a panel about acting per se, I never, I don't even like calling it acting. I ca- I'll call it being. Um, because if you're not being in that moment it, and if you're not giving your 100%, then it's not authentic. And, and the camera can see through. And you just mentioned my eyes. The camera sees everything and you really have to get yourself there. Now it is, it could be very frustrating and it could be exhausting to get yourself there, but that scene actually, and because the director, Michael Cuesta does have an idea of my life story, a little bit of my background and my upbringing and my immigration. And um, he did actually come up to me right before that scene. Now, Now the scene is really short when you watch it, but it was a much longer scene where I'm pointing the gun at someone who has killed my family. And, and he told me, and he's like, Shiva, if there's one part where I do want you to go there, it's mm-hmm. now. Um, and, and, and I said, okay, and no problem. And, and the same thing with the bathtub too. And yes, I did. I want to say 90%. Uh, there was only one move they didn't let me do, but <laughs> I did most of my stunts and uh, I really, took myself there and yes it can be exhausting to really emotionally get to those layers you know and I have a lot of layers (laughs) so um but but yeah um I definitely give my 110 percent every time it's um fun getting to talk to uh an old friend who's doing so well and and, uh (laughs) who's not who's not that old I'm old you're you're very young (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but 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 you're an old you're an old friend. Um, do you, do you, <laughs> I have to be careful? I know that you're an actor, so you know you've got you, you'll always be young, right? You'll always be. Um, well, we so, old friends, yes. That's right. Old, that's right. No. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So uh, you know, you talk about the the important role models in your life, like your your mother, and you talk about wanting to be a role model, and I'm sure that you already have been for some uh, young actors out there, maybe for some uh, uh, young Iranians or, or people who want to follow in your footsteps who are, who are in the diaspora or who are immigrants. Um, can you share something that somebody told you or, or some, some feedback that you've gotten or uh, a note that got passed to you uh, that has really inspired you to continue doing what you do? Um, I can share something that I was told by one of my co-stars who I look up to. She has become a dear friend and a mentor at this point. Um, I worked on this film called The Cuban with Shohar Aldashu. I am sure you're familiar with her. And I was talking to her once and she told me that, you know, besides trying to tell stories on the screen, there's always ways to give back 
through other ways. And she actually introduced me to this website. I don't know why I get emotional every time I talk about this, but um, uh, she she introduced me to to um, to this lady. Actually, um, her name is Shahla Etafar, and she built this school for for kids for children uh, who are not. Uh, privileged yes. and uh and this is in india and and she's iranian and she did this in, in india and uh she basically uh i mean obviously unfortunately right now they're on lockdown um for the time being but this school is for um extraordinary kids um who don't have the privilege of studying and you can support and you can make a difference in these people's lives by giving back and by contributing and and shura is the one who introduced me to this and what i love about it is I got really excited because I just started sponsoring my first child mm. <laughs> not too long ago, um, just before the year end, actually, back in December. And so, uh, and I'm planning to do more, but I do have one cute daughter, I guess I can call her, wow. who, um, yeah, who I'm sponsoring. And, and what I love about this is that you can sort of see a direct result because what they do is sometimes you don't know when you're doing any kind of donation and contribution. Sometimes you don't see the direct result. And what I love about it is that you can actually see her and you, they, you, you get pictures and you get if she has a birthday cake that I got her and they take a picture with her with holding the cake. And, and you can see the direct result of you making a difference in in a person who is now able to get uniforms and lunch and, and study and uh, become someone. And, um, and that's just, you know, the world is big. This is just a small uh, way of me giving back. And I plan to do a lot more than that, but it makes me happy when I do something like that, or when I'm speaking on any panel or any, anywhere. And I have people that come to me and say, oh, you know what, just because you said this and you took this step and you jumped and you know what, I've been wanting to do this thing all my life and, and you inspired me to do it and now I, I picked up the pen and I'm doing this. Or I, you know, so it's really, uh, it's really nice and that makes me really happy that my story can actually bring inspiration to all these people. That daughter you've sponsored, when, mm-hmm. when, when let's say she gets a good job, you know, working in business and and she reaches out to you when she's 19 and says, I want to leave all this and go to Hollywood to be an actress. (laughs) (laughs) What, what are you going to say? Um, this is what I'm going to say, not just to her, but I mean, to every young girl who, who might come and tell me this. Um, I think that there's always only, you know, what your path is. And if you have this, fire because that's how I felt it was just this this fire burning inside you that is trying to tell you something and the fact that you can't fit in with certain uh, social circles or communities and people and 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 you feel different it's okay embrace it if you have this and you feel like this is what's calling you go for it but be prepared to take on every single thing that life throws at you and don't be discouraged and make sure you have the resilience to look at everything as a stepping stone rather than a negative thing. So I think that's what I would tell her that if she really feels like this is what she wants to do, follow it, follow it and don't listen to other people and discouragement because only you know yourself what you're here to do.
It's great to talk to you, Shiva. Thanks for doing this. Stay safe. Thank you. We look forward to seeing yeah, thank you. the new films and uh, and to, to watching you speak Farsi on, on camera, too. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Thank nice you talking so much. to you, too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Shiva Nagar, Iranian-Canadian actress and model. She joined us from Los Angeles, California today. Good, getting to talk to Shiva. Yeah, it's the middle music. You know, this music was like uh, uh, we didn't, we weren't planning on using this. Now it's uh, you know, it's like our, our theme music. This was just like a little side thing we did. Uh, this music, of course, also represents the letters of the week, dear Shaya and Reza, Shaya and Muhammad Reza, just Reza. Muhammad Shia and Muhammad Reza. Um, this from uh, so on. We, last week we had a uh, Doctor Professor Merzad Burjadi on the program talking about the divide within the Persian diaspora. Why we remain quite factional, fractional. If that's a word. And a lot of people were commenting on how he, he's he got incredible balance in the way he approaches this stuff. It's very difficult to uh, even try to maintain the postulate of objectivity or neutrality when you're speaking about Iran and uh, so many people feel so, such investment. He comes pretty close to accomplish, uh, accomplishing that. Uh, this letter speaks to that. It was on YouTube uh, from Minerva. Great conversation, Gian. I don't know if you knew this or not, but one of the interesting facts about Dr. Burjardi is that his father was assassinated brutally by the revolutionaries before the revolution in 1978 in Ahvaz. Yet he never brings this personal drama as a ladder or political leverage against each party of the conflict. I'm always surprised by his gentlemanliness. I did not know that. I don't know if we can confirm or deny that, but um, there's no question that he does bring his gentlemanliness to the uh, to conversation. It's incredibly insightful. My dad's side of the family was from Ahvaz, that southern area. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh, interesting. Uh, this is from Mohammed Hajivandi. I left Iran. Uh, I left Iran latest amongst. Oh, I left Iran latest amongst my cousins. So Jian's dialect is familiar and acute one. Hmm. This thing about talking about my the way I speak Farsi as cute is. Uh, I think it's meant to be nice, but it doesn't feel like that for me. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> it just means cute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm clear on this. On I'm clear on his message and intent. Uh, but I like that his Persian is not shrouded by Persian sophistry. Well, that's true. That's probably because I don't know the big words. Uh, I also loved the out-of-sync contributions of Sara. Sara uh, made an appearance. She's usually 
at home. I mean, she works from the house, helping us out with social media. Um, but she was in our office space last week and made an appearance on the program. He says, bold and shy, a strength among Iranians. I envy the resolve of Iranian women. Sarah's chaos oh is an Iranian trait. Holy. And living, he's, he's, he's really deconstructed <laughs> oh, poor Sarah's. Right? You know, she was like on the phone with us just like outside trying to like Jesus do a Christ. bunch of things at the same time. I'm not sure that she really is that chaotic, but, um, but Muhammad has taken a lot of that and, and, uh, projected that onto the Iranian identity, but he but he means it as a good thing. He says uh, this is an Iranian trait, and living far away from uh, the Iranian community, I find it endearing and hopeful. So thank you for that, uh, Mohammed Hajivandi. What an interesting letter. Also, he spells Jian with an X X I A N. That's cool. That's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. If you if I were to, to uh, start all over again, desperately try to rebrand, which is <laughs> yeah. sadly impossible at this point, I could be a, some sort of philosopher with an X. I am Jean. Um. Then, uh, oh, this one as well. Uh, oh, this is uh, from uh, Minou Farhan, who says I listened to this interview with Dr. Borjardi and enjoyed it. Um, the music was perfect so a lot of people like that music uh, that was a Shia selection Eat On Eat On then from episode 8 with, uh, this, with Mandana Karimi um, Ali Zakir says amazing woman with a big heart and great achievements wish her the best on her future accomplishments this from um so mandana spoke about the fact that she still until recently had an iranian passport even though she's a bollywood star she's living in mumbai she's an actress she's an international model and that this iranian passport meant so much to her but it's caused her a lot of trouble so this from amir nikdel who says you say having an iranian passport is a problem but i've been in canada since i was 12 I don't even have an Iranian passport anymore, but I still get shit in the airport when I go to the USA, even though I have a Canadian passport, all because the passport says the country I was born in is Iran. And the reality of- Yeah, a lot of people face the same problem crossing the border. There is not much you can do about that. Yeah. Uh, he also says, Jian speaking Farsi is awesome. LOL. He had me until the LOL part. LOL. I was really happy. LOL means cute. <laughs> cute. <laughs> Just say cute. Uh, continuing with, uh, with the Mandan Academy, this is from Mommy versus, uh, sorry, Mommy KS Chronicles. The power is unmatched once a woman finds her potential. And then some clapping emojis. Somebody who really loved the Mandana interview and was inspired by her and finally uh this letter of the week goes to atefe tabosh in halifax nova scotia canada atefe says uh uh i just listened to this interview during my exercise i like that that's good that people are exercising and listening i appreciate that uh i'm very emotional and I'm crying a lot, not because the interview was sad or anything, but as a girl growing up in Iran, 
and living through all of those pressures and seeing all those dreams get buried, it's extremely inspiring seeing a girl pursuing her dreams. That's a beautiful letter and a powerful one. And, and um, it's an honor that, that there's this platform here where you can hear a Mandana speak and feel that way. Atafe Tabosh in Halifax, you have the letter of the week. Thank you. What a transition. Nothing but pros here. <laughs> this is Full Time for Rook. Please subscribe on our website, YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud. You can contact us at info at rookmedia.com. Yes, we're going out on a little Iranian L.A. pop from the 1980s in Shiva's honor. This is Atish featuring Andy, Kuros, Shahram Shapareh, Shohreh. Enjoy. Mizun Bashi. Oh, I'm going